Welcome to Following the Leftovers, the officially unofficial podcast for The Leftovers on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And we are going to talk about Season 2, Episode 3, titled Off Ramp. Uh, not entirely sure I understand the actual name of this episode, other than how it might relate to the cult uh, of the GR, but I feel like there should be more than that. Off Ramp? She wasn't on an off ramp when she goes mowing that, down the GR. So. Is, but isn't that where Meg... Wasn't it on an off ramp that where she did her uh, business with them? I don't know. I kind of got the. It's hard to tell because it was all blurry. It's a truck, but yeah, they did a lot of interesting shots with blur where things slowly came into focus. Yeah, it had me uneasy at points. Like I don't enjoy watching this extremely blurred shot of this woman and this man doing things in the background. Sure, like. But they did that deliberately blocked, like the same way with yeah. uh, Lori working on her book with Susan in the background. And, if, you know, of course, obviously, they this is to preserve a mystery, but they opened the door on Tommy and his eyes hadn't adjusted. And yeah, artistically, you see walking towards her, it's Meg. But the other two were a little bit. Yeah, I feel like they wanted us to feel visually the frustration of not having all of the information you need to decide on things. And not having clarity. Like, I yeah. don't know what she thinks because she's all blurry. And I don't know what she's thinking when Lori's writing this book because she's all blurry. And um, I don't know. Yeah, it, it has did. a deliberate it choice or is that me. arty choice? Uh, it might have been a deliberate choice. If it was, kudos, because it did frustrate me. I, I don't like seeing blurred images. So what did you think of this episode? I thought this episode was amazing. I thought this was easily up there with the other two, if not better. Wow. So and I and I don't even I going into this, I would have said, really? An episode about Lori and Tommy? I don't care. I don't want to see it. And then halfway through this thing, I'm like, okay. Yep. I will say that, yeah, I was kind of like, fuck Lori after last yeah. season and after stuff with Jill and the Burning House and all the things with Mapleton. And I was sort of surprised that she was not with the guilty remnant. Me too. Uh but, because- but I guess that moment you know, when Jill's in the house and she realizes what she's done and she yells, Jill, that's the moment of her breaking away. Yeah, and there's a lot to unpack about her particular... But I I will say that, like, for me, I immediately got excited seeing her buy all the Nicorette and set out the cots, and when Uh, I realized that she's now working as a culty programmer, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is... I'm kind of invested. Yeah. Um, and I almost forgot like all the reasons that I hated her last season and why, mm-hmm. you know, legit reasons why her daughter hates her and her ex husband hates her and, and all those things. But yeah, I mean, I, it's funny because I wonder if I'd have liked it more if I had seen it before I talked to you about it because you built it up in my mind so much that I was really ready for Really? Okay. Yeah, some All I said was holy shit leftovers. <laughs> <laughs> but no, we talked a little bit over lunch yesterday about how uh you thought that Lindelof and Perota had really captured some yeah. particular cult feelings, which I kind of am puzzled by what you meant by that. I I think the character of Lori is 100% understandable. Now. Okay. Like, before I was angry at her, like, why Why are you doing the things you're doing? None of this makes sense, lady. You've abandoned your family. You didn't really... I, I mean, after another episode with them, we really haven't discovered the loss that they suffered, right? It yeah. was it was more just this general feeling of loss with Lori. Uh-huh. Uh, we've speculated on all sorts of stuff, but I never quite understood what she was doing. 
but I totally understand the aftermath of it. Okay. Having been in a similar situation. Okay. Well, let's talk about that here in a bit. Um, okay. So I've organized my notes by character, as I want to do. And there's only two in this episode, pretty much, Lori and Tom. And yeah. I want to talk about stuff with Lori first. Uh, first of all, I want to shout out the musical choices. <laughs> Having that drum duel be behind all of Lori's scenes I thought was brilliant. Because it worked mm-hmm. when she was like, you know, stable, moving on with my life, Lori, writing this book, helping people with the cult. And it worked when she is kind of unhinged, Lori, worried that she's lost her book, stealing her laptop back from her evil landlord. And then they had the slightly different musical cue and she's mowing over. Oh, yeah. You know, like her triumph music was yeah, the same music as I'm running over guilty mem- remnant members without even batting an eye. Uh, the yeah, musical choices uh, you haven't seen Fargo yet, no. But th- these two shows they take already superior material, material, and with their musical choices, just elevate it. Yeah, like they just take the emotional floodgates and <clears throat> have them wide open. I was kind of hoping that would this would be ridiculous and it'd be so avant garde that it was terrible. Uh, but I was kind of hoping it would go on for the whole hour. And it did, pretty much. No, no, I mean like oh, oh, solid, it's constant. The, the drums going to a quiet scene, going back sure. to the drums. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I want to talk about Lori's book because there seemed to be a lot of motivations behind there. Uh, one was that this was going to save the world from the guilty remnant. This is yeah. the tell-all that bring was going down. to bring them down, and they then I identify with wanting to bring down uh, an evil cult in your mind. Yeah, um, but also it seemed like. She was a little desperate to restart her old life as much as possible, exactly how it used to be. Like, I'm going to write a book, and I'm going to get a bunch of money, and I'm going to start this institute, and I'm going to uh, be a psychologist, a psychiatrist again, and I'm going to save these people. And that was kind of what she did in her old life. Yeah. Yeah, we know she was a psychiatrist or psychologist or something before this. Uh I don't know. Her she clearly has a singular mission here, which is to take down the guilty remnant. But she's which, also still incredibly damaged. Oh like, yeah. This this even behavior, though she's in denial about it too. And a lot it, of this behavior seemed like it was masking some of her crazy behavior. Oh yeah. Yeah. In denial. Are you kidding me? Completely. Uh, and, and that's so. I wonder like how much of this is like. Oh, we specifically know what it's like to be uh, coming out of this cult and and feeling like your world's crumbling around you. Versus, like, how much of this is really just the standard stages of grief, you know? Mm. Like, how much of this is the denial and the anger and all all of the stages uh, that just kind of apply to everything? So this cult support group, though, we see isn't all sunshine and roses. Number one, we see the guilty remnant interrupt the session, which does that imply that they have infiltrated her group to some point? in the same way that Lori has infiltrated their group? I don't think so. I, I think they're there. They just followed someone for, there? For fear. Yeah, they're, they're there but with how did the they control find, mechanism. Like, someone said, how did they find this? And she's like, it doesn't matter, they're cowards. But I'm like, no, seriously, how did they find you? They might have followed her. I don't know. Because they, I mean, they obviously knew where she lived before, right? Like but they, they could... Yeah, but she's she's living in a new apartment. I mean, everything's yeah. new about her, and this facility's new, and she's it's it's a commercial space. I just wonder if there isn't. I mean, the guilty remnant seem like incredibly organized in a way that both. I thought it. Was, I thought Tom. It's natural for him to write off the, you know, threat of the guilty remnant. Ah, pff, they don't talk to each other. They don't even talk. Period. Blah blah blah. But we know that 
Loria at least was aware that this place was capable of shocking levels of organization and research and patient mm-hmm. painstaking detail to get your balls in a vice and then they start squeezing. Yeah. So like I get that he was cocky about it, but I thought that they really downplayed the fear that, you know, and the danger he was in until it was kind of too late. Yeah, I guess so. Um I, I don't know, so much other interesting stuff was going on that I wasn't thinking about that. Sure. It was it was like So the attention that they're paying to kind of their world building here is really interesting with Lori having these money troubles, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because we know she gave away her half a divorce to the guilty remnant. And not only did she – so it's nefarious too. It's like she gave away her money. All these people that she's bringing into her organization have already given all their money and all their possessions to the guilty remnant. It's – it makes you question, like, what is the Guilty Remnant's actual goal? Are they trying to provide them with something here, like Lori, the conclusion Lori comes to at the end? Or are they trying to gain their money? Like, what is the, what is the remnant, actual end goal? I think Guilty Remnant have, they are true believers, I think. I don't I think, think so. we're going to find that there's some kind of cynical cash grab later on. Yeah, but that's a nice little wrinkle, the idea that she doesn't have any money they don't have any money although as this here's what happens a lot with cults mm-hmm. uh, although it's kind of inverted in the scientology model but a lot of times you'll have the first couple generations sincere true believers then cynical opportunists come in later to take advantage and i wonder as if this you know we've talked about this this season if this manages to go four and five seasons would that be interesting to see a new guard of guilty remnant who are just openly fleecing the flock and taking advantage of this essentially slave labor. Yeah. All of these are amazing questions, especially when paired with the ending of this episode. Yeah. Uh, But there, there are other little subtle hints in here, like departure insurance is fucked up. No, I have that as as a random thing to talk about. Like that is some high class scam. (laughs) Oh yeah, it is. Because if it never happens again, uh, you are printing money. Mm-hmm. And if it happens again, you can probably instantly go bankrupt. Yeah. You know, and sure. yeah, like just this, the raw cynicism. Yeah. And I also want to talk about this, like for, so another, another foe that she's got in her fight against the cult and her support for her support group is Victor, the landlord. Yeah. yeah. Cause he's a sleazy, slimy, almost post departure. Like we've never met anyone like this. What, um, the, the part that's so cynical and yeah. and kind of venal and just money grubbing asshole, but he also has a point. Like Lori, in her in her quest to do good, is taking advantage of people. She's essentially uh, stealing dresses from a high end boutique place, which I had a big mm. debate with Cecily last night, in which I about I think, returning. Clothing. I think I, I think I re, I think I just uh, realized that Cecily uh, might be at least thief sympathetic when it comes to steal because <laughs> well, because I'm like she's like what's borrowing fine. and then you're going to return it later and you've got the receipt and it's the policy but I'm like ah yes but the measure of morality is if everyone acted in that way is it sustainable and she's like shut up it's not stealing so <laughs> I <laughs> no just kidding but I she's doing that. She's also taking advantage because this guy say, Hey, this is a commercial place. Mm-hmm. Like everything's metered on the fact that you're going to come here at eight. You're going to leave around five. You're not going to be sleeping here. You're not going to be shitting in the toilets past that time. Like we've got, I need to charge you more money. All this stuff is reasonable. Now yeah. him keeping her laptop and all that stuff kind of sleazy, but yeah, it is. There's a little parallel construction there with the, 
the book executives. Okay. Like those are, they all seem like post or uh, pre-departure archetypes of like, mm. like evil cow. Like we, these people seem like the departure didn't affect them at all. Yeah. Like they're exactly the same type of people that you'd see in our day. And I think that's I mean, it, it interesting. It might just be that they, I, I can imagine a person who is only concerned with themselves and money uh, and, you know, physical possessions before the departure, not being very affected by that, right? If they don't depart themselves, they don't give a fuck. Well, that's what I thought. Like, is being a selfish asshole and, like, myoptic and having no empathy, is that proof against the, you know, departure anxiety? Or were these relatively normal people that became even more calculating and almost cartoonish villain Mm -hmm. as a result of departure? So the interesting thing is there were two previous books, both on the subject of the departure, right? Like, they see this as a huge cash-in. Like everyone wants to read about the departure. We're gonna. We're well, but, gonna... but the, what's next? I think is an actual book. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, but then they had the there's, other there's book. Another that's, one that's, that's another dimension. I thought that they departure. used that to. Um, Maybe it is. Yeah, but yeah, I I thought so. I thought that was like some kind of. But there is one that that they're like, oh yeah, this other guy wrote about the departure too. Yeah. So so you can see there's a little bit of cash in there, uh-huh. uh, and using the departure kind of like the insurance company, right, uh, to sell more books. Uh, but yeah, and a lot of, also a lot of things, the reason, so there's also this background thread of the reason Lori is in some of these predicaments is her own damn fault. Yes. Which my interpretation of the end of the book scene is entirely that like some, I, I I know I saw a little bit of the feedback, a little bit of forum traffic that this was dealing with this guy's tone deaf questioning and like he's talking to a person oh. that's 100% healed and okay no, no. and she just like I can't believe you're in kind of the same way when you see sometimes a reporter ask well how did that make you feel oh how did I feel when I saw my daughter torn apart by wolves <laughs> yeah. well it felt great like that's kind of insensitive but I thought it's kind of like her realization is oh shit this is all my fault, and I haven't – I've put all this blame on this cult and be manipulated and all that. And that's yeah. – that does feel pretty true to life, I, a realization once you get out of something like that that, oh, my God, like if nothing yes. else, I've wasted so much time in my life on this bullshit. You're going to feel ashamed. You're going to feel angry. Uh, she's She's going to feel – Taken advantage taken of. Taken advantage of. And, yep. and that's without you almost murdering your daughter and yourself. Yeah. yeah. That's and just giving up a career and family and, it's and also, opportunity. It's also insulting, right? Because he's he's also talking about these guilty remnant like they're just fucking cuckoo. Like these people are lunatics. And yeah. you'd be insane to ever fall in line with them. And talking he's talking to, to a, a woman who was part of that yes. and knows that that's not the case. Yes. She was vulnerable. Maybe she was taken advantage of, but she wasn't insane. Right. And she was doing the thing she was doing because that's where she was. Yes. In her life. And so like that's also super insulting to her. Mm-hmm. So she, she's angry about that. She's angry about the realization, "Oh my god, yes, you're right also that I did almost kill my daughter and that uh, is me in fact." Yeah. Uh that's th- why there's she'd... so like the nuance with which they approached this subject yeah. is what impressed me so much. There was a yeah, cuz you could there's a lot of cover. I, I don't think it's all one thing. I think all those theories are correct yes. and to add it up into one just emotional meltdown. And that's the thing I like that they're doing with the larger departure too, right? The thing yeah. they've done so well is not everybody's going to react the same. Yep. Not everybody's going to feel the same thing afterward. You will have the cynics. You will have the people who are looking to take advantage of others, the people who can't 
deal with this life anymore. Like, uh, what's her name in this episode? It kills herself and her family. Uh, you'll have all sorts of people mm-hmm. and different reactions. I think they've done a hell of a job portraying that. And also, like, just because you see someone given a certain reaction, that doesn't necessarily mean that's their ultimate emotional state. That's also because true. Because you're also dealing with people that are self-deluding themselves. And like, yeah. I'm a strong person. This doesn't affect me. And then you're going to be crying like a baby two episodes from now. Yeah. That's the other thing. And and it never feels like we're being cheated or it's out of character. It always feels like, yes. I mean, it's an amazing cloak because I feel like Lindelof <laughs> can keep saying, well, in this universe, anything can happen. Uh-huh. And that feels – I wrote on the forums that this show feels like it should be infuriating because, uh, once again, we're not – we're not. I'm not ready to talk about this. But they do this thing where they give you two possibilities. There's a supernatural or rational thing, and you can make a good argument for both, but we're not going to come down to any one side. Yeah. How long can they keep doing things like that? And it's still – but it's so damn it fascinating. So well. yeah. And it has some essential truth, I feel like, about the human condition that I love it. And they set it up so well, too, right? It's not like it's not like we knew 100 percent Lori's motivations, uh, but now we start to understand them a lot more. So what did you think about her Jack and her laptop back? Are we do we think we're going to see more of Victor? Because I felt like they're setting him up as almost a big bad, but I could also see so. Like, she just ran to his house, stole her laptop back, which he, I mean, he'd have to go pretty good fellas mm-hmm. or Sopranos to take it to the next level here. Because what she did is she stole back her rightful property. Yeah. Um, plus, also, Lori, I get it. You were in a cult for the last two years, but back your shit up, man. Yeah. Or just, oh, use, okay. go- or just use Google Docs. Yeah, you don't write in the cloud, lady? Come on. Like, even, I like Tom was like, damn it, Mom, didn't you email, like, email your stuff? But I guess that's something, like, my dad would do. Sure. Um, what do you think about, and, and also I like that just as we, th- I thought we were going to get a chance to bask in her victory. Yes. Like, just the sheer pleasure of her plan going off, like, Walter White style. Fucking guilty remnant. And she mows yeah. them down. She's she's in the ultimate game of chicken here, right? Like this is not just a physical game of chicken where they're going to move. Why or did she think die. they would jump out of the way? She wouldn't have, and she has to know that, right? Is this maybe as, she like would've. she's in denial about how? I mean, she's testing their conviction, right? So, like, is she, she or just is she getting revenge believe. against them? She, she's. I, I feel she's like she's chipping them. away. She's trying to look for the weakness in their psyche, and like, do these people? actually believe this deeply that they're they're willing to just get mowed down time and time again and well, I, think I feel like that's not the first time she's done it and it's also interesting to see the various levels of committal here like gladys yeah we know when she was tied to the tree begged for her life like she, sure. at, in her last moment they took away her agency she didn't want to die yeah uh lori apparently um maybe if it's just her she would have but with uh, her and jill she managed to you know, as as the asshole exec brilliantly put it, like, you know, managed to run out screaming. The first word she'd said to her husband was just, it was pretty powerful how they, they did that. Yeah. Uh, but then we also have Patty stabbing herself in the neck. There you go. <laughs> and and Meg is gone full hardcore. Yeah. Now, too, uh, which we'll get to in the Tommy section. Sure. So we talk about how they mostly play these emotional moments right. I completely disagree with this next thing we're going to talk about, which is Tommy meeting Jill at the cafe. We get from Lori's perspective that Lori is actually 
the way they played it, I thought Lori was still guilty remnant and kind of me too shutting out Jill. This we find out that Lori desperately wants Jill's forgiveness and a reconnector, but that look where she just gets she just gives her this blank eyed stare, meets her daughter's eyes, and then just kind of looks away like she means nothing. That was not right emotionally or yeah, I sub- you can't. I, I like, guess to me, there was that. not ambiguity where you could read two things into that. Hmm. Um, because if if Lori had never made eye contact, you could be forgiven to be like, well, maybe she didn't see Jill, or there's a reflection there. But I, the way they filmed that was very clear that they had a connection, and Lori it like almost meant nothing to her. And that's a clear impression I got. Yeah. And now I find out this other, and I just feel like that there that didn't work. She's, I mean, she's trying to give her her space, obviously, right? Like. Jill hasn't forgiven her. It probably won't. Maybe never. Uh, and I guess in a weird way, Lori's trying to respect that and just say, look, if I try and push the issue, then she's not going to ever want to speak with me. Maybe if I give her some time to simmer down. But she's also work it out, like but- Tom's lying to her about whether she took the note and she's not respecting what Tom's saying about, look, I know Jill's not ready for this. She did. I think she did take the note eventually. Like she, she ripped took, the note in half. Yeah, but she took the pieces of the note. He shoves the pieces back at her, hmm. and just kind of leaves it there. So I, I don't know. Maybe she doesn't take the note, but it seemed like she did. I wonder if we'll see Jill read it. It's going to be scotch taped together, and we'll yeah. see her read it later on. Probably. I don't know. Uh, the other minor false note that I've got about Lori uh, is that I thought she seemed fairly oddly uncaring about the whole meeting with Meg. Like her 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 son comes home and says, "Who's this Meg?" And she's like, "Oh, she's someone I knew from Mapleton." But I've almost got this book ready. You know, we're winning. And he's yeah. he starts talking about they make sense. They know something which should scare the shit out of her. But I man, I don't know. Like I felt like the natural thing is what happened with Meg. No, you have to tell me. But she went from like. Okay, tell me about Meg. And he started talking crazy, and then she chased him into his room, saying, "This book is what is going to make us win, and it's the thing that's mm-hmm. working." And you know, we know that falls to shit. But I thought that wasn't quite consistent with her. What'd yeah, maybe think? not. Uh, I I would expect a, little, a few more questions. I guess. Yeah. I don't know. By the, by the end, I guess it served its purpose. Where you know she's realized that the thing that Tommy sees in these people is that they're giving him something, whereas. So far, their movement has given these people nothing yeah. to replace kind of all the the pain they feel. Um, so they, they try and give them something, which I think is super interesting at the end of this. But we'll talk about it. Uh, uh, so, some other stuff. I do, I do want to talk about Susan and her family. I was about bit. to move on to Susan because, okay. man, when they got the, when when we first see her in the super blue filter uh, Guilty Remnant house, her eyes... Yeah were like popping out of her head like White Walker blue from huh. Game of Thrones. I okay. thought that was pretty amazing. And I instantly, you know, windows are, the eyes are the windows in the soul. I instantly connected with this woman. Huh. All right. And I thought like the most powerful thing for this season to me was when she first came home back to her family and her little boy saw her and ran across the yard. Yeah. Uh, I've had some near runs this season. That's the first 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 thing that made me leak. <laughs> Oh, uh, uh, okay. My my All eye right. lubricant started to malfunction, and <laughs> just because just and the first time it was sad, but the second time I watched this show, it fucking destroyed me because huh. I now know 
And this uh, little boy is so happy to get his mom back. And, oh, Jesus Christ. It's literally like the snake crawling across the baby. Like, no, kid, <laughs> don't. It's, yeah. Oh, Jesus. And so, I, I mean, the most poignant question there is what if I can't, right? What if I can't reintegrate into a, a real life? What if I can't get over this this tragedy? And I, I don't know what the departure did to her. I don't know what they had taken away. Does it say that? No. They lose like a son or no, they, they a daughter or no. something. Like, and Lori okay. didn't. I mean, we well, she lost, she miscarried or got her fetus raptured. I guess we think maybe we think. Although yeah. we're there's also a theory that I don't know. Yeah, I don't want it's to ambiguous. rehash the theories, but. but but they don't tell us on this lady. But we get the impression that something horrible has happened that caused her to go to sure. the guilty remnant. And this idea that what if I can't reintegrate? And obviously she doesn't. Um, mm. But you can you can kind of feel it coming the whole time. Oh like, yeah. She's sitting on this couch when when Lori is trying to reintroduce her to her husband and reassure her husband that she's not going to leave again. She's good. She's better now. They're talking about her right in front of her, mm-hmm. which seems fucked up to me. Uh, he he's like, "What is the question?" I thought Lori her? comes across as a shitty therapist and everything I've ever seen her in. Like her husband asked, did, like, did she ever talk about it? Here's what I've well, seen her do. Just as, fucking turn to her and ask her. Yeah, here's what I've seen her as a th- as a therapist give empty assurances that she has no ability to. Yeah, and also get wrapped up in a cult that one of your crazy, uh, yeah. unstable patients started. You're batting zero as a therapist, from what I can tell, Lori. <laughs> Indeed, but and I I just don't think she. Like she should have seen this. Yeah. This woman was so detached from her family, just sitting yeah. there on the couch. Like, I don't know what's going on there. I feel lucky that I exited the my cult on intellectual terms. Yeah, like I had decided it was all hooey, and then I didn't conspire to get myself thrown out um, and excommunicated. But I've yeah. seen a lot of our former friends who got thrown out because they're just teenagers having sex and drinking and doing stupid stuff. And they never came to like a mental or emotional rejection of to have horrible problems as adults. Like I oh, just yeah. six months ago got Facebook message someone that has been out for a decade or more terrified because like, you know, the, the Ebola was happening and serious happening. And like, what if Armageddon's wow. right? And I'm scared. And like what, you know, it's like if you're living with this shadow over your life the whole time, it's like this is a perfect example of a person who got out, but was still mentally in. Yeah. Uh, and wasn't able to, to reintegrate for that reason because, and I felt like that Lori was, that was a lot of her fault. She should have seen that she was not yeah. ready for this. And instead of pushing and being like, Oh, it's okay. And it'll be fine. Well, help her realize what all happened to her. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think Lori's ill-equipped to do that because she's in a similar position. Yeah. Like she made kind of an emotional disconnect, a very emotional, well, she, traumatic sure. decision. But she never had the opportunity to sit down and say, here's why I feel this no, way. No, yeah. And here's what I am I need to do about it. And I, like the change was forced upon her, yeah. right? And I don't feel like she has come to terms with that at all. And I felt that was very clear. Like, uh, so I think that, so Susan almost wants her family to hate her. Like she wants to feel like she deserves this guilty remnant life like her Mm. her emotions and her human nature is rebelling against the unnaturalness of this life but Mm. mentally she feels like she deserves it and maybe if her family hated her uh or she she felt like she deserved it and i felt like that 
because Lori is this, you know, again, strong, recovered, professional woman moving ahead with her life that we're supposed to get a little bit of insight into Lori's emotional state through the lens of Susan. Because like when Susan says, you know, I'm angry, I want them to be angry like you. And Lori's like, (laughs) me angry? Yeah. Clearly is a lie. Obviously. (laughs) I felt like actually that's where she lost Susan. When she Susan, lied to re- when Susan realized, oh, oh, I see, this group is bullshit. Yeah, uh, that's where things kind of because I felt like she was getting healthier and healthier, and that one point where Lori could have been real with her, but she kept to the therapist code of never talking about herself or whatever, and it blew up in her face. Sure. Um, and I felt like she needed an honest connection, and she didn't get it, and so. That's the other thing that I want to talk about. I want to keep this in mind for when we talk about the Holy Wayne turn at the end. I felt really bad, and I get a very, very bad feeling about replacing some one bullshit cult teaching with another. <laughs> like, the logical efficacy of replacing one delusion with a benign delusion is yeah. very dubious to me. Very sure. made me feel very uncomfortable. But then you could debate about whether it is, in fact, That's the thing. delusional. Do, do we want to talk about it right now? No, no, okay. I don't. I don't. All right, well, then keep that uh, question in mind. So, so a little Easter egg with Susan. Did you notice her little boy when she was in the, you know, the all-white home scene? Uh, that, that he was watching a Wile E. Coyote cartoon? No. And this particular one's like the many times where Wile E. Coyote runs off a cliff and he doesn't actually fall until he looks down and he holds up a sign. I thought that was a really clever commentary hmm. on Susan, like just two second cartoon commentary on Susan's relationship with the guilty remnant. Like she's running and running, but until she actually looks down, she's fine. And then the holding up the sign, it's a whole guilty remnant thing. Huh. Okay. Um, why did any day now that kind of like, so that's one thing in my experience with being in our cult is that's how one of the ways that they kept control over you is that literally tomorrow is when it's going to happen. Fear. And yeah. it's always tomorrow, sure. whether tomorrow was it's 80 years today. ago or five years ago or last month. It's always just around the corner, just around the corner. Sure. It's a control mechanism. Um, but do you think that that's what – that that landed on her, that she was terrified that there's going to be another hmm. – I, I don't I don't know how that fit in with her. Like that's, that's a very yeah. – you know, and also like when we see the life of the guilty remnant, how they're – everyone's just going around doing menial tasks and cleaning and – packing these things like you just kept so busy yep. you don't have time Keep to reflect mind off of what's going on and yeah. you can't have a you can't have a watch because that you know might take your that's that's a connection to the corporal world and, and it doesn't look like you can have a real dialogue with anyone and i know yeah obviously they don't speak aloud but in any form right yeah. like i i kept seeing people side eye tommy when he would go up and talk to someone individually well and i wonder if that so I don't know how much of this there are two is, layers. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> because like, so another cult technique is love bombing. Like sure. when you show up, no matter what your state is or whether you what clothes you're wearing, that they're going to just be, oh, thank you for coming. We're so happy to make see you, you feel like you belong. Yeah, make you feel like you belong. And we saw a little bit of that in season one where Patty gave Jill, uh, not Jill, uh, Meg a warm welcome. And then she kind of got maybe the good cop, bad cop with Lori. Uh huh. But there was still some of that little bit of love bombing and like, you know, it seemed like that Patty, when part of her grooming process with Lori was to give her a little extra love and attention. But 
with Tom, so are we supposed to understand that now the Guilty Raymond's adapting the tactics because now they know that there are wolves among them and they're being more confrontational and like the opposite? I think so. Like hate yeah. bombing a new recruit. Like, I don't give a shit. You know, you can wear the white shit or not, whatever. Um, is that a result of Tommy's and, oh, and Lori's maybe. antics or is this just different strokes for different branches of the GR? No, I think it was in response. I mean, the fact that, that basically they have a plan, right? They're going to take him. They're going to take Tommy. They're going to contact Meg. Like that's something they I get developed, the feeling yeah. That, that yeah, they heard about people leaving, and they're like, "Oh, I've, there's this Tommy guy." They have a cult intervention whistle now that they blow yeah. whenever. I thought that was interesting. And how did so they've had that for a while, right? So did they? Did they know that that they knew that was Tommy? And they knew that was Lori's son. I think so. When did they make that connection? Because I think it was after he took Susan. It must have been. Right, but he took that other dude too. Uh, after okay, after he took that guy, then yeah. So they disseminated his picture. Why didn't they just grab him as soon as he walked in the door? Why did they wait until he did that to blow the whistle? Because it's almost like there's something a little loose in the plot here, yeah, maybe, and I didn't yeah. notice this hmm. the first two times I watched it. Was actually when I was doing my notes, and I'm like, no, wait a second. She he yeah. sidles up to her, she blows the whistle, and they swing into motion. Why did they wait till that moment? Maybe they are looking for the the wolves. You know, the the infiltrating people, and they don't but know Meg that it's knew who they don't Tommy know that it's was. Tommy until after they take him. Maybe hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's possible to concoct a, a backstory that makes sense Did, here. I I vaguely remember that Meg and Tommy met last season. Uh, I don't remember. Maybe yeah, I wish I'd make because I actually went through and watched a couple of uh, fast forwarded through HBO Go and watched a couple of episodes because I wanted to check Tommy's timeline on yeah. some events and, and, and some other things. But yeah. Um, so what else we want to talk, talk about? Why does why does Meg rape Tommy? Well, and threaten uh, to set him on fire. Like, I can understand the setting well, him on fire, but what's like, is it just a power play? What's going on here? I didn't understand this scene at all. <sighs> Uh, one more thing with Lori before we move on. Okay. Lori's monologue, um, after, you know, so that's the other thing I didn't understand is like, Tommy seemed like he's really fucked up from these experiences with the GR. And then the very next scene, he's actually talking sense into his mom. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know, like it maybe that's, maybe that's an emotional thing. Like, cause that's how we do with bald move. Like one of one of us is like, this fucked this bullshit ready. The other one's like there to, and well, whoa, whoa, be tight as the, the time where we both show up. In full fuck fuck this mode, but as bad as Lori is at psychiatry or yeah. psychology, uh, maybe Tommy is better at it. Maybe Tommy has realized, oh, you know why I felt so good because they were giving me huh. a sense of belonging and a purpose. Whereas we're not doing that. Hey, mom, we should be doing that. Maybe so, he figured it out. So know? this this is a little subplot on the whole Lori monologue about how you know you shouldn't share, but I'm going to share you my story. Does this imply that Patty is actually the progenitor of the whole Guilty Remnant movement, that she started it? I don't remember that conversation exactly. Because she said, mentioned about how, like, I met with this woman, and she said that some. I feel like the world's going to end tomorrow, and then two weeks later I saw her and she was wearing white and smoking. It, I felt like they were implying that Patty might be the great-grand... Mommy of the whole movie. Yeah, it's possible. And I don't know what that means, but mm. I just want to put that out there. It's like, is there any evidence contra to that? I don't think so. No. Um, I mean, I could certainly come up with other ideas like, oh, well, she just got swept up into it and Lori knew her by vicinity or whatever. And okay. So let's talk right. about this thing with Tom. Did you want to talk about? 
Uh, we're All both right. comfortable. So I, I saw some debate about whether you know this this happens anytime you have a rape on screen, and it's comforting to know it happens when a man is the victim as as much sure. as does woman. The, the, as it, it should was it rape? Yeah, he had a boner, obviously, and it seemed like he might have been enjoying it towards the end. So it can't possibly rape. It totally was totally rape. Yeah. Totally rape. You yeah. uh, like the absence of consent is the legal definition of rape. So whether he put up a enough fight or whether he said, no, Meg, please don't do this. Also, a boner is a physiological reaction. Sure. You get a boner unconscious. Yep. I think we can all agree that you rape an unconscious man with a boner. That's clearly rape. And as far as whether he enjoyed it towards the end, I don't – you can't rape your way to consent. No. Like, no, you can't. So like – there's a lot of reasons why a person could and the complicated feelings that could arise. And that's part of the whole guilt shame concept con complex. Like, Oh, I, this might've felt good. And I, I just got raped. And what does that mean about say about me as a person? That's, you know, that that's, what's one of the reasons why rape is so terrible. It fucks you up mentally. Sure. Sure. And Tommy's fucked up mentally enough. So now all that out of the way. Yeah. Uh, why? Why? Why did she do it? I don't know, man. I don't get it. I just don't get it. I mean, it's a mind fuck, right? Literally. I, I guess. But so is pouring gasoline on him and when he's half naked and lighting a cigarette next well, to him. Well, that's like... Which would probably set him on fire, by the way. It's not the gasoline that lights. It's the vapor from the I gasoline. I've, I've, I've played my share of gasoline in matches. Being it's... that close, it's... It's dangerous. We'll just say that. It's definitely dangerous. <laughs> and I don't know that Meg cared if she set the guy on fire. Like, that's the yeah, thing. You have yeah. to be willing to set someone on fire if you're playing with gasoline and matches. And I think she was willing to do that. I think so. Can we dismiss, because there's a theory that's sweeping the internet, that Meg somehow, that this is, okay. Once, once that there's a, a baby. baby conceived out of this act. That yeah. might be. I that's I re- real fast, real quick, Tommy is. Uh, if that's the case. Well, I mean, I don't know because like part of it I read is that sh- they were mid coitus and she interrupted it to make this b- of a bigger mind fuck. But maybe he did. Yeah, arrive. I think so too. Um, here's the thing: hmm. I there's no f- I dismiss out of hand that she knew that he was the Holy Wayne acolyte. Yeah, and he didn't know at that point. Y- y- yeah, like I I there's something that like this is a deliberate thing that she set this up and engineered this just to get pregnant with a holy wayne baby yeah i i can't believe that uh in fact if that I turns don't... out to be true i'm going to be kind of disappointed so i i'm disputing the fact and i think i think rightfully so uh that tommy has any powers at all right we we know that his story is a lie Having how do seen we know the that? previous season he never got a hug from from holy wayne did he well, but the, the, the event that he's referring to. No, uh, he's talking about his hot throbbing waves. I mean, he he tells these people that he got a hug from Holy Wayne. No, he didn't. Yeah. He says he got a No, he got a hug. And at, when he wrapped his arms around him, like he says he wrapped his arms around him. We know that that didn't. But happen. that was before he died. That was that was in the presumably in the 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 truck stop restroom. Is how. Yeah, that's that's where he got his hug. We don't see that, do we? No, we do not see that, but it's okay. not inconsistent of what we know. Um, all right, so we're mm. let's, let's, we're, all right. we're just going to go ahead and talk about this. What the fuck? Um, so here's the possible. So, so we see Tom turning to Lil Wayne. Is Tommy for real? Is he sincere? If he's sincere, is he deluded? And if he's not, if, if he's neither sincere, 
and or diluted, then what the hell is is his mother and his game? Because here's the here's and does the, it matter? Does yeah, it matter sure. to these people? Um, and so so here's a couple evidences for it. This is a manufactured thing. We saw Tom going to sleep watching Holy Wayne videos of like his introduction. Maybe he was studying to yeah. like you know this has been there kind of in game all along, and this is this thing with Susan just accelerated it, and it didn't look like. I thought that maybe Lori would have a bigger problem with that if that she thought that this was him going back to his cult ways. But if this was a homework assignment, then that explains why she's kind of more <laughs> nonchalant about him waking up and then going to the bottle of Jack. Um, does Lori endorse the Holy Wayne Act if it is an act because she's afraid for Tom? Him talking about the guilty remnant made sense, making sense and all that scared her so bad that she's ready to do this kind of radical reaction to keep her son safe from the cult uh no i think i think what he said about giving these people something made sense to her in a in a way that they they then concocted my my perception of the timeline here is laurie was trying her damnedest to write this book thinking it would blow the whole thing wide open tommy was serious about oh we're missing something that the guilty remnant's giving us uh i figured it out and now i can concoct this story that i don't think ever happened uh, I certainly don't think he has any powers uh, that are that are mystical or supernatural. Uh, I think he is creating a placebo effect in these people the same way that I think Holy Wayne was. I don't think Holy Wayne had any powers. I think the acceptance from someone, the the reassurance from someone of those hugs is what was doing it, the placebo effect. Okay. So I, I think that's the timeline. Like, but here's Tommy came up with this idea. Lori realizes, oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, let's do it. So the other thing about this timeline, I went back because he said in in this in this restroom, I looked up and said help. And 10 seconds later, Wayne walked in the door. If you watch the episode after the girl abandons the baby, he screams for her and runs out into the streets. And this takes place immediately after the exchange he has with this gentleman who stopped off this bus as a part of an evangelical moment and offered him help. So. It's possible that Tommy's misremembering that sequence of events and getting it all blurred in his head. It's also possible he's embellishing it. And it's yeah. also possible that he walked back into the bathroom completely lost and then Wayne appeared to him. Now, mm-hmm. the spatial stuff lines up because literally the day after Tom had this meeting with him, Wayne died yeah. with Kevin. The other thing that states that maybe Wayne has got real powers is that little exchange he had with Kevin at the end where he could get grant a wish. Like, we don't know what that was, meant and what that, what Tommy was like in Texas at the time or something. He, no, they were on the way back to Mapleton. So I think that the geography lines up got, fairly but... damn close. Cause the next day Tommy was in town. Yeah. He arrives on the bus. Sure. So I think that the, the timeline would line up, mm. but I know that literally the story he told cannot be true because I saw him run out at screaming into the night and little Wayne <laughs> yeah, yeah. and then Holy Wayne rather uh, <laughs> didn't happen. Now here's another piece of evidence that this, that he sincerely believes he has powers. He made up a bullshit excuse to not hug Jill. He said, I was sick. Yeah. He's not sick. We You're know right. for a fact he's not sick. Yeah. So this throws a little doubt of like maybe he's deluded, but why wouldn't he hug his sister unless he had a germ of the idea that he's got this special power? Hmm. So maybe he himself believes it. And his mom. And maybe he does, yeah. And that's the thing. Like, you know, 
even at the end, Wayne kind of had some self-doubt. Like he had his, you know, sure. uh, Christ and Gethsemane moment where he's, you know, saying, hey, let this cut pass. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, my guts are all torn up. Don't want to die. I think <laughs> I'm a fraud. Uh, I, th- there again, that- this show walks this tightrope so well. It should be infuriating, but for some reason it's not. Yeah, and I mean the commentary uh religion and specifically cults and healing and forgiveness and all this stuff like this in my opinion this is brilliant. Like it doesn't matter necessarily whether he's a charlatan or not, right? No, because it's maybe he's giving these people the thing that they need even if he has no powers. And that's I don't accept that. I reject that as a valid course of action, but I could see someone doing it. And I could see it working on someone. Like if they truly believe that they've been saved or forgiven or have, what about have something in doubt on them i believe it would work here's a really cynical take i had hmm. what if his mom and him are setting these people up to later brutally rip it away from him like you got fooled a second time motherfuckers oh that's just cruel you're some credulous <laughs> fucks you need to get with the pro like that's like a like a tough love uh-huh Good cop, bad cop. Yeah, like Tommy with the hugs, Lori with yeah, the cold turkey Jack cult boot. Treatment. Like, yeah, look, you fell into <laughs> another cult, dumbass. Jesus. There's shades like that because when I'm watching this, I I thought a lot about the Holy Smoke movie we watched over the summer uh-huh. and how like the cult programmer got kind of fell and started a new cult about the girl he was in and how she, that relationship got all complicated and fucking weird. Yeah. Like I, that could be like a bait and switch. Like Jesus, you people believe in anything and here's the proof. I just made up some bullshit story. that's not true. And you thought you're getting magic hugs. So what does that do to these people? It like, what, re- what like cold boots them like into they, rationality. They have a realization. Oh, you're right. My God, I need to toughen up. I, I mean, it's possible. It's just as, I think it's, it's a crazy plan along the lines of supplanting some, like that's a hell of a cult deprogramming technique to program them into another tech uh, cult. The yeah. other thing, evidence. This isn't really evidence either way. Is what did you think about Tom's performance of this story? I felt felt it was very stagey. Oh, it was. But there's two possibilities. Number one, Tom, the guy playing Tom, Chris, what's him? Whatever his name is. Yeah. Uh, he could be not just as good as an actor at this kind of thing as the Holy Wayne guy is. Because uh-huh. every time the Holy Wayne guy talked, like I was kind of a believer. Um, in fact, I kind of believed that when Nor- he gave that hug to Nora, and then we later saw that that was more of a placebo or, you know, seeing her plastic family was a trauma that overwhelmed his magic hug. I don't know. <laughs> but I... I've seen this guy in this episode put in superior performances. So I think that he's got the chops to pull off a convincing Holy Wayne, mm-hmm. but he was acting sort of stagey on purpose to give us a little bit of clue or doubt about whether he himself believes it. But I can't explain the whole Jill thing. I can't explain him not giving uh, Jill a hug. Another piece of point of evidence, hmm. he hugs his mom after she gets out of jail and she was fucked up in that car afterwards. So if he's got the magic hug. Yeah, so that, that's a problem, right? Like, what the hell? There's contradictory evidence. Does he need to believe this hug does something in order for it to do something? Does Insufficient evidence. Yeah, I feel like there is always contradictory evidence in this show. And again, that's where I'm saying, like, how long can they keep doing this, man? Yeah. Like, I guess as long as it's really well done, they can do it forever. Um, the other thing is, like, what do you think the price is that he alluded to? For this to? hug, yeah. And also, the subtitles, he said, there's always a price, though. 
I thought when I was listening to it that he was doing an impersonation of Holy Wayne, saying, there's always a price tomb. Like, it, mm-hmm. the way he pronounced, like, he has know. a very precise way of pronouncing Tom. Either way. Um, yeah, I mean, I struggle with the idea that there, like, what was the price for Holy Wayne? Holy Wayne died, died eventually, but he had was that a result of, of the sons? hugs? I mean, is is the price like you will become a famous cult leader and they will try to kill you? Is that the price, or is the price more emotional? Well, there's a lot of these like is the price like archaic Ju- wasn't Ju- he like Judeo Christian traditions like the concept of a sin eater? Have you heard of that? A sin eater? No. Yeah, I guess this was something that did in Ireland and Scotland and some of the. I can imagine more, what it is. Where, where like when a person died, uh, they would write down a person's sins on a piece of paper and then a person would literally come in and it's usually an outcast that would do it for money. He would come in and literally eat the confession and then the family would beat him and chase him out of the house and drive him into the streets as a way to like get rid of that person's sins. And, and the thought is that this person is literally taking all these sins. Like they're a yeah. damned person. So there's that he could be by taking on this pain. It's actually get, incurring him a karmic debt that will have to eventually be paid. Here's the other thing. And also the scapegoat Ma- concept. Same thing with Judaism. You, you grab a goat, you put all the sins of the tribe on this sure. goat and then you kill it. Here's the other thing. Maybe Holy Wayne was a fraud. And then by hugging these people, he was taking on their guilt because yeah. he felt guilty about giving them a false hope and the, these false assurances. Maybe that's one of the prices he was talking about. Well, and there's also the concept of maybe Holy Wayne was an imposter That's or deluded, saying, yeah. but Tom's the real deal. Yeah, well. Like Holy Wayne is John the Baptist, Tom is Jesus Christ. Uh hmm. I don't I don't know. Cause he says he gets his he got his power from a hug. Which, which, if it's something that's like a placebo sort of thing, I can understand that. Well, but if John the not... Baptist baptized Jesus. That's what opened up the heavens to him, and that's when he had like all of his pre-human existence beamed down into his brain. And well, was... the Bible has a little more backstory to its uh, spirituality, to its supernaturality. Yeah. Well, like, but we they, don't know they, anything about. But here's the thing: like, I know the spiritual advisor is that Reza Aslan guy, yeah, yeah. who I did a lot of research in this last week, and I found that that he's written a lot about Jesus Christ and the histor- historicity of it. Yeah. So I think that he would know like all the different competing Christ myths, and like you know, we're pretty familiar with the the one that we get through the Christian mythos, but like sure. there might be some other subtle things about John the Baptist and how he really lived, and like maybe there are parallels between Holy Wayne that we don't know about, and he does, and he's baking some of that into his advising. I don't know, maybe but so. I'm kind of excited about that because I'm a sucker for that kind of shit. I love Christian mythology. I love the questions that it's raising. The Bible you know? is an absolute fertile ground for a lot of different um, things that you Tom can... Hanks movies. Oh, oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dan Brown books. Um, yeah, but no, it's it's a great. It's it's like uh, you know the the D and D monster manual as far as like you sure. just start reading it. Like, look at all these ideas I have for stories that I could take on and yeah. and and put them in the real world, and it's it's interesting. Yeah, I, I just like the the unsure angle that they're taking on all this. Well, and I thought that was reflected in the faces of the ex-guilty remnant. Like, you had the one woman who's just sobbing, and you can clearly tell she wants that hug right the fuck now. <laughs> and then they cut to the other guy who's a little bit more reserved and skeptical. Yeah. Like, really? Like, the two sides of the audience, Did I right? just not get out of this whole situation? Uh-huh. Yeah, no, I mean... I mean, I can see so many so it's many so little fucking pokes meta. 
at the audience. Like it's so in fucking that meta. book scene where they're yes. talking with Lori. Like just explain yes. the plot here. Like Yes. What what are the guilty remnant after? What are they doing? Why do they smoke? All the questions that the audience has being brought up. I, I love that. Uh speaking of the Bible, there's something I noticed in this, which I think a lot of people probably did, but we hear about this David guy in Australia through a newscast that's on the TV when Tommy walks David in. Burton. David Burton. Your old ba- pal from, from the yeah, last wave. Say, I think it's David Burton. Like, they get halfway through his name and they shut it off. I, 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 yeah, I'm convinced. But it's got to be, Burton. right? Because mm-hmm. he's from Australia. Mm-hmm. And uh, apparently he was in a cave and he was in dead. In Wanneroo. He, he was dead and he came out. Covered in dingo bites. I mean, where, what does that sound familiar? What does Jesus that sound Christ. like? Jesus Christ. It's it's Jesus Christ. It's Lazarus. I mean, there are a couple of instances, right, of resurrection in a cave. Maybe Jesus, uh, the maybe the Mormons were only half right. Like Jesus wasn't done when he came to North America. He had to wait a couple thousand. He had to wait uh, a couple thousand years and then come to Australia. All right. To take the sure. to take the, the his message to the lawless people, ex convents so, and felons of the so penal colony of Australia. David Burton is <laughs> is Jesus. I don't know, the man. Modern day Jesus uh, Christ. So I did you read any more about that last wave or the big wave or whatever no, it was? Last wave, yeah. Someone on Reddit was discussing it authoritatively, and I mm. don't know because I I didn't fact check this, but something about it being tying into dreams being like like dreams are kind of magic, that things that you do in dreams can mm. affect the real world. Okay. And the reason I took him at their word is because that sounds a lot like what's going on with Kevin. Oh yeah. Like he's doing things in his sleep and in dreams that are actually like he's either sleepwalking or this yeah. is magically being made happen. Um, he's a vessel for something. And also the idea of I think that the smarmy book editor, book executive was talking about this David Burton when he's like that wacko from Australia that thinks he visited the other side and now he can't die. We just talked about the theory of <laughs> can Kevin not die? Like, hmm. What yeah. are these, you know, are there several of these Axis Mundies scattered throughout the, the the world? Are they actually significant? Are they fake significant? I, I don't know. And we're not supposed to know yet, right? Like, that's the subtlest of, of hints at something going I'm on. I'm still rolling that we might not ever know. Like, yeah. that, that this is, again, uh, how people deal with grief and loss. And the, like, I don't, if you take him at his most literal, you'll never explain the first departure, but if we have a second departure, that's open for explanation. And also sure, sure. ongoing supernatural events could be explained. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I wonder, you know, it, the but question whole... is always accompanied by, it's always accompanied by the question, is it supernatural Yeah, in this show? And I'm, I don't know. I'm interested. I, I thought the, just the way that this episode handles the questions of like, you know, the aftermath of tragic events, the aftermath of being in a cult, I was really hooked by it, given my personal experiences with that stuff. No, and it, again, it's not everyone's cup of tea. That's manifestly um, obvious. But if you are receptive to the wavelength the show is broadcasting on, it's super powerful. Yeah. Like, I just, I, between this and Fargo, and even The Walking Dead has been better than it had any right <laughs> for me to expect it to be. Like, I just feel mm-hmm. like I'm, it's, it's another TV smorgasbord. Yeah. Uh, the, the one other thing we, we were talking about music at the very beginning and I neglected to mention this, but they doubled down on the Pixies mm. this week with yep. the instrumental keyboard, which I'm not sure. Uh, so it links Kevin and Lori here, mm-hmm. right? Thematically with both of them wondering what the fuck is going on. How do I feel? Sure. Why am I doing the things I'm doing? Yep. And I thought that was a pretty brilliant stroke. I did too. And I thought that, 
so Seppenwall said in his review that he that, that Lindelof, I guess the the review copy was a different piece of music because they were like, I don't oh, know if we yeah. can do double up on the Pixies. But the I guess it was originally scored with this piano version, like the law the the fault the the leftover version of the Pixie song. Mm-hmm. Then they sent it out to the critics with a different piece of music, and then they're like, you know what? The original choice was better, and we'll just go ahead and double down on the Pixies because that's what we we're going to do before Mr. Robot and all that stuff. And I thought it was beautiful, and and also like I immediately recognized it, but I don't think yeah. if you're not one of the people listening to podcasts and doing all the crazy research, it just seemed like a very leftoverian piece of of, of music because they're yeah. all about that, you know. Pretty much poignant piano bullshit. Uh, I have another Easter egg we haven't talked about yet. Okay, what's that? Uh, you mentioned the departure insurance and what kind of bullshit scam that seems like. The yeah. poster that was right outside the office where it had a bunch of dice being rolled and it's like, don't roll the future with your family. The dice spelled out 666, and one of the dice had an impossible configuration. It actually had both of its faces having the six pips on it. Hmm. I don't think this means anything. It's one of those, like I always say, I don't think it means anything, but it's cool to notice it. Evil insurance companies. Well, there was a hint that like Holy Wayne was an Antichrist figure. Sure. And, and also uh-huh. we had the Antichrist as one of the alphabets of the departure yeah. on the HBO promotional site. So I'm not saying it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> I don't think it has to, but I just think it's cool. Yeah. But it's a deliberate choice because, again, that's an impossible dice configuration. Gotcha. If you have dice with more than one six on it then you're cheating and risk uh-huh. and you're going to go to <laughs> board game hell or you're losing an axis or allies. you're losing bad <laughs> hard in axis and allies uh yeah you know what's better than a fake ass non-effective non-magical hug what's that that make you feel good about yourself no Supporting two independent podcasters. Oh, that's very clever. Of you. Uh, <laughs> go to club.baldmove.com, and not only can you make all this goodness happen, not only can you make you feel good about yourself supporting uh, two guys that, that desperately need your support, uh, but also you get some free stuff. You get ad-free podcasts. Ad-free, that's free. You get uh, video versions of our podcasts. You get uh, uh, VIP sec- access to the forums. You get little fun uh Digital only treats like uh, our uh, uh, lunch with Jim and Aaron, mm-hmm. where we get around, we 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 sit around and we talk about whatever comes to mind, and we have Q and A with the audience uh, every week for that. And uh, you also get access to other fun things we do, like our uh, live watches and our uh, uh, our our what do we call that? Silent movies. Yeah, that's a hard one to explain, but it's cool. It's essentially it a game show where we remove the audio from the the dialogue from a movie. And then we and try guess to f- what it's about. The other person that hasn't seen it tries to figure out what it's about based on visual clues only. Yeah. It's cool and it's fun. And it's on club.baldmove.com. And again, it's as low as a buck a month. It's it, it's worth it just to get my advertising out of your ears. So you don't sure. have to skip. You just skip. Oh, they're still talking. Jesus, skip. Oh, they're still talking. But are they still talking about the ad? I'm not sure. Oh, now I got to back up. No one yeah. wants to do that. You can make that go away for a dollar a month. Club.baldmove.com. So shall we get the feedback? Let's do it. If you'd like to give us feedback, two ways to do so. Leftovers at baldmove.com and also on forums, forums.baldmove.com, where you can talk with our whole community. Tommy A says, there's no way Wayne actually had powers. Have you ever had a hug where you're at your lowest point or even your highest point? It feels euphoric. 
That's what Wayne did. He distracted these people he hugged with these hugs and his flair, and maybe there is a bit of a placebo for a time, but yeah. I think after a time, everyone, whether it's people who got hugs or people who left the GR to be, uh, uh, begin to remember, and that's when they have problems. So he's yeah, indefinite, so the no real hug theory. I'm with you, and it's interesting that he brings up, you know, the kind of the wearing off of the hug, because we saw that. We saw that with Nora. That didn't work for her the forever. Right? But I don't know that that's evidence. So let's say let's say that we take the Jesus myth at its word, and he healed several people. Those yeah. people did not live forever. No, of course. Uh, unless it's in, in the bosom of Abraham it in heaven. It sucks to get leprosy again, though. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? That that's entirely yeah. possible, that you, he could cure you of cancer or madness or eternal blood flow or whatever, and then 10 years later, damn it, you get it again because there's no sunblock, there's no sunscreen, mm-hmm. and there's no retin-A, <laughs> and there's no antivirals. You're just going to get it. Uh, mm-hmm. So I don't think that it wearing off or going away in response to a new trauma. It's not yeah. like a Harry Potter type mother sacrificed you to save your life. And there's blood magic at work. It's more like, you know, a confession, same thing. Confessions work for the time that you have it. And then you have to keep <laughs> having them renewed. Right. Uh-huh. Like, so I don't think it's, I, I, I'm, I'm agreeing with the cut of Tommy's jib here. I'm just saying that that's not necessarily evidence that the hug doesn't work. Yeah, because uh, we've seen it genuinely give people relief, which you're right. It could be placebo. It could be this catharsis thing. But well, similarly st- to a confession, a confession is sure essentially a placebo effect, right? Like it relieves you mentally. And if it that's what, you, yeah, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't make your situation any better. It just gives you relief. Yeah. And the other thing is, like, even if it's fake, it's still significant to know whether Tommy believes it's fake. Sure. And that's the that's the Jill hug, man. It's got me t- <laughs> torn up. Frano says, here's my take on why the federal government may have acted so quickly in making Jarden into Miracle National Park. That's one of the ongoing problems I had with the show. While I agree that it may at first seem strange the government would be lending credence to a supernatural origin for the departure, it does make more sense if you think of it as a way of easing the transition for a deeply disturbed public. We see in the episode that Miracle has become a holy site for people of every religion. I think turning Jarden into a beacon of hope gives the American people a unifying idea to hold on to, potentially preventing some disastrous events like what we saw with the Guilty Remnant. So Sucks to be kept out of it, though. Yeah, but... <laughs> I mean, you know, the fact it, that there is a place, I giving guess... Giving these people nice. a beacon of hope that, like, you know, we can study this and make it a national park and preserve it, and that's going to yeah. help us in the future... Friend continues, additionally, by turning it into a national park, it gives the government a reason to have a large presence in the town without appearing like an oppressive force. Hmm. With a huge influx of people coming into town, it would be necessary to have a presence to control the population, and a group of park rangers is a lot more innocuous than police in riot gear or the National Guard. Sure. They start, you know, rounding you up and razor wire lined, you know, chain link fencing. Yeah. There's anything I learned from Fear the Walking Dead, it's already too late. Also, if they're interested in studying the town's relation to the departure, the logistics are in place for them to discreetly insert scientific types, like the Australian water collection gentleman, okay. uh, to do that un- unobtrusively. I, I like that theory. So it's a cynical ploy on several levels by the federal government. Control the masses, give them some hope, uh, sure. and also be able there to have the place locked down. Uh, and be able to study it without raising people's suspicions. Okay. 
I buy it. And if maybe they're bringing in Australian guys from other caves from Perth, other locations, yeah, other uh, what are they called? Caves? No, these nexuses of no disappearances. Axis Mondays. Yes, they're bringing in uh, the Australian Axis Monday guy. Mm. I don't know. Bear, I'm I'm super interested to see what John Z. Riley had to say to that David in Australia. Yeah, I because re- they're I don't know connected if we will, somehow. But... Mm-hmm. Barry C from the UK. Do you think Lori is regularly running over guilty remnants? Given that we see her clean her car at the beginning of the episode, and when she ran them over, it struck me that this was a regular thing, and that was her regular post murder car wash. I agree in this interpretation one hundred percent. Yeah, I think she's especially done it a lot. when she says, "I run our irk." I they they don't. I forget exactly the phrase, well, but she like says just, in the present, "They just tense. won't move." Yeah. Which someone on her forums interpreted as that maybe this isn't real, like that these are like phantoms in her mind. But I actually mm. think another way to interpret that is that this is a regularly or semi-regular occurrence that she does, and they yes. just keep not jumping out of the way. And I think they play with the timeline a little bit, like yes, wondering, is she washing her car twice in this episode yes. or once? Mm, and I, I definitely think she's washing it twice. Yeah, I think so. But the which, which implies that she is done she it. has hit yep. multiple sets mm-hmm. of a guilty remnant. No, I think that's what the contextual clues seem to imply, and I don't know what yeah. that means because we've obviously seen this open season on guilty remnant. Like, yeah. I don't think these people go to the police. I don't think they go to the hospital. You just and and if they did, I don't know that people give a shit. Yeah. So you can assist, it's. That's another kind of – this show is such a great science fi- science fiction universe. It's like you take one little thing and you change it and see what happens to the world. But yeah, the fact that they're – like that's hard for us to understand that there's a class of people that are just – you can openly fuck with and no one will ever – Wait, wait, wait. How is that hard to understand in America? It's just been a while. Okay. Like even at the height of like 80s, I, 90s homophobia, yeah. it was always shocking when someone would – do something horrific, like drag someone down a road or something like, yeah. I mean, you go back a hundred and something I years get it, like in our lynching, country's history, but that shit happened yeah, all the right. time. Like, and like the way treatment of Indians, treatment of slaves. You're treat- right. It's, yeah. it's, lo- it's, it's shocking long to modern in past sens- sensibilities. and none of the current generations of the people who would have been perpetrating that stuff then uh-huh. feel it now, I guess. But it's part of our DNA. But it, yeah, it is part of this country. And so when, when someone says, I can't believe that there would be a whole class of people treated. No, no, that shit happens. I guess you're right. It is happening today in other places. Yeah. Still. Yep. Like that, that's real. Nathan P says, Lori looks 10 times better since giving up smoking and the color white. <laughs> that's true. She's yeah. like, uh, you know, smoke, smoking uh, gives you a little bit of haggard appearance. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, It'll make you look like you're 45 when you're 25. Sure. And I feel that they've gone far enough that I'm finally starting to feel sympathy for her. I'd like to get your thoughts on this. Do you think that Lori can come back from everything that happened in season one, or is she irredeemable? I would have said that she was irredeemable up until this episode, but Mm -hmm. I immediately was invested in what she was trying to do. Now, part of that is uh, my personal history. Like, it's not 
it's it's not been just a single idle day speculation of how could I start <laughs> and like XJW recovery group or what would that even look like? Or oh, what, I've had those my, thoughts of like go on a mission. What, to... what would my how would I go about that? And what would the likely outcome be and how much money would it take? So it's like that stuff's all fascinating. And I can relate to a person who got into something with good intentions and then it's like, oh, shit. I've made a terrible, you know, like Job. I've made, oh, yeah. <laughs> I've made a terrible mistake. Uh, so I was impressed by how quickly I came around on it and was interested in what she's doing. I'm now I'm kind of like, I don't know about this bait and switch cult stuff, though. Yeah. Yeah. I I hated her the most at the the lighter stuff from season one. Yeah. I thought that was fucking reprehensible. Oh, no. We were like, uh, I hope a wild dog comes and tears her yeah. right now. Like yeah. We said that. Hated her. Hated her. And now I I found myself starting to feel sorry for her until she started running over Guilty Remnant and until this potential cult stuff. I'd... It's complicated. It is. It is a complicated <laughs> relationship. We have with all these characters. Yeah. Because, like, think about Kevin. Kevin does some heinous shit, too. Oh, yeah. All right. Uh, moving on. He also wants to know, apparently the Guilty Remnant burnt down their own homes in the finale rather than the town. Or did I mishear something? What? No. I, yeah. No, I always thought that the guilty remnant, uh, the townsfolk set all their houses on fire. Yeah. But it wasn't like the whole town was on fire. It was the guilty remnant cul-de-sac. That's what I thought. The GR. Was there something in this KDA. to say that they set their own houses on fire? Uh, there might have been some. This I think this was first last episode. There might have been some like talking about uh, with uh, the uh, Sergeant Nicola yeah. Fury. When she was <laughs> given the, the background on that, it might have been like they set their own houses on fire. What? But again, that could just be wrong. I think there was mention of the ploy, but, yes. but that was not the house fire. That was the thing that caused the house fires. Yes. And, and I, I, my interpretation was the townsfolk showed up and set their houses on fire. Yeah. Because they had an angry pitchforked mob. Yeah. Came in. Sure. All right. Uh, Allison D said, Did that drumming during some of Lori's scenes remind anyone else of Birdman? Have you seen Birdman yet? No. It's on HBO now. It is. I'm, I'm going to watch it. It's fantastic. It. And yes, yes, it did. It uh, definitely did. I'm hmm. I'm on that same same wavelength. In fact, it shit. It could have been the exact same song because Maybe. this wasn't something composed for leftover. It was actually some literally drumming duel between two drummers. Yeah, uh, kind of like you know, devil came down to Georgia only in drum form. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Bilal S says Bilal. Bilal, yeah, like the devil. I think <laughs> I think it's Bilal. It's B I L A L. Okay. Bilal. Bilal. I terrible at mm-hmm. pronunciation so i don't know uh i want to touch on the adoption scene in episode two in the podcast you both felt as though the caseworker were offering another baby for the garvies because of the nature of the two percent population disappearance some children would be left without parents yeah an additional baby now a bonus baby if you will <laughs> sure now while i do agree that the foster care system would probably buckle under the weight of a rapture event i don't necessarily read the scene this way I felt like the caseworker specified that the other baby was white as if to test the Garveys. What better way to test the quote-unquote love and quote-unquote fate of the situation than hmm. offering the parents a child that looks like them? Now, hmm. I started reading this email. I was like, man, this email is fucking cynical as hell. I can't read this shit. In context, it's not but just wait. But just okay. wait. Uh, a child without the elephant in... Uh, so essentially, the child without an elephant in the room. Obviously, the Garveys love Lily, or at least Nora and Jill do, so they passed. The caseworkers test, but sadly, this isn't the case for a lot of couples uh, and families fostering children of color. My long-term boyfriend is a caseworker in Chicago, and many times he's dropped off a black or Latino child from a couple 
days old to 13 years old to a seemingly loving white couple and family, regardless of sexual orientation, only to pick the child up months, weeks, or days later because a white baby was made available for fostering later. <laughs> wow. I feel like wow. the only response is to take all children in that circumstance. Like take, take all children? What do you mean? Like who, I who takes so all here's children. I think this is this would be take repar- the children away from them. Yes, sure. yeah. Like yeah. you get a dog. You you uh. you're wanting a cocker spaniel, and you've, a cocker spaniel is never available. And you finally go to the adoption. Uh, you go to the pound. You adopt a mutt, and then two weeks later, the rescue facility says we got a cocker spaniel. If you take the dog back to the shelter and take this cocker spaniel instead, you're kind of an asshole. No, I don't. I don't care. Nobody gives a shit about dogs. Yes, human get, beings. Just, just shut. Shut the fuck. I up. don't give shut a shit. Shut the fuck up. I you, don't give a shit about. dogs. You are dogs. playing with fire talking shit about care. dogs in this podcast. I don't give All right, a fuck. You are these the are human beings though. These are human. I'm beings. saying that's reprehensible for dogs. So much more for human beings. I can't Is believe repre- this shit happens. Mm, okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna leave this. I don't thing care go. what you think. I'm saying this is how I feel, and I'm saying that the fact that it's beyond yeah. the pale to do it for dogs, let alone human beings. I, I agree with you on the humans. Honestly, it was yeah. shaken by this email. Sure, uh, the fact that it that it happens, is the fact that sick. the people yeah. do it, and it's like I guess it's a thing. Like you could do that. You can just return a child. I mean, I guess it's it's no different than putting a kid up for adoption, is it? Okay. The 13 year old one is the one that really gave me pause. Yeah. Like you're 13 sure. years old. They know what the fuck is going I find, on. I, I've been through this horrible. shitty foster system in the, in the United States. Where I've heard horror stories about, I get this family that looks like things are going to be, and then they get a white kid and suddenly I'm too Brown and I'm back at the foster. Yeah. That will fuck you up, man. Sure. Sure. No, I just, Jesus. Uh, so that is a lot more. That's, that's, that's a much darker interpretation of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I just thought it was an additional here. kid. Yeah, because there was strain. I, it, on honestly, the system, could go but... either way, but if uh, it'd be like Perota and Lindelof and be aware of this thing and throw that in there too, just be like, "Here's a white baby. What are you going to say?" And yeah. then if they spring at the white baby, then it's like, "Nah, you can't have either." <laughs> That's how I would be anyway. Because right, you're sure. Just, I don't know what's wrong with you, but something's wrong something with you. Something definitely is. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus. So. uh yeah, that's uh, beyond uh, all expectations. This email is the saddest thing about this week of the leftovers for me. All right. So thanks for that, Bilal. <laughs> the devil is emailing us. Yeah. Making us sad. Yeah. No, it's it's uh, humans are the real source of evil in this world. Uh, so leftovers at baldmove.com and forums.baldmove.com. Is there anything else you'd like to say before we end this on the high note? Nope. I'm looking forward to next week, though. Yeah, we're finally going to get back around to perhaps new material. So and far, so good. This again, this was a lesser show. This would have been. This could have gone so badly. Oh yeah, getting away like not the rest of the Garveys right away, then getting away for the Garveys and going back to Lori, who we hate. Yeah, bravo, <laughs> bravo, everybody involved. Indeed. So yeah, I'm looking forward to this on Sunday, and that's it. All right, cool. We'll, well, we'll be back next week with another episode. And until then, I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. See you. 